Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Glenn, you could literally say anything you wanted to him, and he didn't care. And that is, uh, forget about a, a, a dying quality. That is essentially a dead quality. Uh, not only did he not mind, he liked it. Glenn, right, heard, right. He would he would call us up and say it was great. You know, if we did a bit or mocked him or called, you know, made fat jokes. We've got to get a kind of wartime mentality here. Uh, how much of this do you think might have to do with the fact that you're a woman, and particularly specifically a black woman? About 99% of it. And interesting to me, I didn't raise it, but how many of the survivors and how many of the families talked about the impact of global warming? Oh, what do you know? Top of mind to these people who survived this and who have loved ones there Mm -hmm. was global warming. That's what I would be saying, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. That, I think, and... um, Pork belly prices. So, so, all right. So we're going to get to some stuff today. We'll get to the Biden stuff. We're going to get to John Kerry and stuff and all that. And a little bit more happening in on in the world. But we're going to start out here with a chat I had with Kirk Minahan and Jerry Callahan. Because uh, Glenn, well, because they would. It was one of the reasons. I like both of these guys a lot. Obviously, I do a lot of stuff with Jerry. And... And this is, so this is going to be, we'll start out with this and we'll get to the normal stuff. For those of you who who have come to the show, not through my life in particular and my radio life and all that stuff, and then this might be foreign stuff to you. But what's happened here in in Boston anyway is, um, is that really the most, a really big influential, the designer kind of of the biggest sports talk station in town. And really, the architect of one hell of a show, Glenn Ordway, is retiring. So Glenn has been with a station called WEI, which is a sports station in Boston forever. It was the huge monolithic monolithic, uh, station flagship for the Red Sox for years. And they really, it was an incredible show. Glenn, as you'll find out, did some, scouted so much great talent, including Jerry Callahan, including Mike Felger, who's now on another station, on the big station now, it's a big thing, a big deal. When I worked at this station, and people around Boston know Ordway as a guy who did Celtics play-by-play in the 80s. In the 90s, he jumped onto the CEI. By the 2000s, it was a huge hit, and the station was the powerhouse. It was just the greatest thing in the world. So I will say just personally that I knew Glenn when I was the lowest entry-level employee at Intercom, literally the receptionist. And he was a nice and decent, pleasant guy to me back then when no one was looking. And I knew him when I worked at the Boston Herald in certainly a a more prestigious role there at the Herald. And he was a pleasant, cool, and and, uh, and, uh, warm 
entertaining guy to be around, never changed, was consistently not a jerk, and um, and I certainly wish him well. So we're going to jump in here to this. Uh, I'm going to be talking to, first Jerry Callahan gets on the line, and then Kirk calls in in a little bit. And so a lot of this is very inside Baseball Boston radio stuff. Behind the scenes, program director relationship stuff. If you're in radio like I am, or if you're a fan of that stuff, then you'll like it. You might like it regardless. Jerry and Kirk, both of these guys were essentially drummed out of radio. They had a real the greatest morning show in the the history of this of this city, and they, um, for one reason or another, due to the absolute cowardice of the of the brass that they were dealing with then and the um obsession and the very honest media well right and and the and the obsession of certain activists uh, working along with uh, the Boston Globe they were eventually uh their radio days came to an end and now they're in a better place i feel both of them you know the Kirk Minahan shows on Barstool and the Jerry Callahan podcast are two must listens uh i think but those of you guys who came just for Kirk and Jerry are wanting me to shut the bleep up right now <laughs> and have been forwarding for 15 to 30 seconds now this whole time. So we'll um, get to those. For, for everybody else who's used to the Burn Barrel podcast, once again, this is me talking shop with, with a couple of friends. They work blue a little bit. I've tried to bleep as much of the stuff out and bleep the stuff out, and I've also um, um, redacted certain portions that could be injurious to my current career in terrestrial radio, but uh, I thought it was a good time with these guys, and uh, here you go. All right, Jerry, so um, so that's the end. That's the end of the starting team. Glenn Ordway leaving WEI, and really, it, for the powerhouse that it was at its peak now, Glenn is the, was the last member of that really dream team, kind of, and he's finito. All done. It is. It is kind of sad, and it's definitely the end of an era and an end of a of a of a style. Uh, you know that now everybody, including Glenn, they're under orders, man. They can't say anything. They can't do anything. When Glenn was in his heyday, and I get a little annoyed, and he gets a lot annoyed at people who sit there and say you get no ratings, because in his heyday, he got bigger ratings than anybody ever. I mean, ever in Boston. Bigger than, you know, Howard Stern, bigger than than anybody. In the afternoon, the big show was appointment listening. That's where I got my start. Hell, that's where everyone got their start. Mm-hmm. Glenn was the ultimate, you know, had, had the ultimate coaching tree. He's, I mean, the list of people who started with Glenn, who learned under Glenn is is endless. And it's a, a lot of big names on there. But I, I, I still sometimes, Shattuck, at quarter of six, I think, ooh, big sh- uh, uh, wine line time. I mean, you, yes, everybody at quarter of six tuned in if they weren't already tuning in uh, to hear the Weiner line. It was, it was the biggest segment in Boston radio. He got huge numbers and it was a freewheeling show. And Kirk at Minahan and I were talking about this. He made stars out of everybody. I mean, people that were, you know, he, you know, Pete Shepard, his yeah. cohort, his sidekick was great. And they laughed at themselves and they laughed at everybody and they made fun of everybody. And, there's like none of that now. At least it seems that way to me. It seems, I mean, I don't listen a whole lot, but I see the the tweets and the teases and the promotions and it's all, you know, you know who should be the four starter? It's all back to boring, you know, sporty radio because the program directors and the general managers and the CEOs are scared. They're playing scared. They're afraid of uh, the Twitter mob. They're afraid of the activists. They're afraid of the globe. So they don't let people do what Ordway did. They don't let people do what Kirk and I did either. Um, but, they, they, you know, he was not able to be himself. It was sad. Yeah. It's too bad that's how it had to end because in his heyday, there was no bigger star in Boston radio. So I'm not familiar with the radio company you're talking about, Jerry, but just going to to Glenn's, <laughs> to Glenn, to Glenn's own ability to, to scout talent, was that the first? gigs you ever got was from Glenn? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I mean, I'd been on radio once in a while, just fill, you know, call in or something boring. Yeah. But I was part of the first meeting, you know, for the big show when they came up with the idea. And Glenn moved Eddie, Eddie Andelman to middays, paired him with Dale. And Eddie, I'm not taking anything away from Eddie. He was a huge deal in Boston radio, was a pioneer. 
but he, he was at his best when he was with Dale and they hated each other, but they would fight and it was good. It was a great show. Mm. It was really tense and it was really, it could get wild. Glenn put them together. So he gets credit for that. He put Dino and me together. I started as a big show guy twice a week when it started. And believe me, he had people saying, you know, this isn't going to work. People are talking over each other. You have different guys in every day. You know, you're not, you're kind of uh, freewheeling and you're not sticking to the topics and you're not talking sports sometimes. And he was pressured to uh, get, get in line and do what everyone does now, just behave. And he didn't listen. And it took him, I don't know, two or three rating books. And they said it was, you know, kind of like Howard Stern where he just defied the boss and, and not, not to that extent, but, and when the numbers started coming in, they said, Glenn, you know, do your thing. And they didn't worry about, there was no Twitter mob, but they didn't worry about the globe. He actually mocked the globe and that's how you should be done. The globe is a joke. Everyone knows it. Glenn made a joke out of the globe and it worked. Everyone just kind of loved all the different personalities. It was fun. So Jerry, so Glenn was PD when he made the big show. Yes, he was, which is why, you know, people like Eddie weren't happy and, you know, he was the boss and I think he fired Eddie's son who put a stripper on the air and that was a little right. bit too much. <laughs> and that was, a, that was a cause of friction. But yes, he was PD, made himself the afternoon drive host. I was on the big show. Then he moved me to 10 to noon with Dino. And uh, eventually he wasn't PD when it happened. Then they moved us to six to 10 and get rid of Imus. And that's, you know, things were, things took off from there. So who, how did it start that the station became a community, a clubhouse that you'd want to hang in all day? So the morning show would talk about the big show, big show yeah. would talk about DNC and you, know, you guys would talk about the midday show. So it was this, like, it was one whole community. Was that, like, organic, or did somebody design it like that? Um, well, Glenn and I used to talk. <laughs> I mean, we did, and, and Kirk did, too, when, when he came along. I'm not saying it was orchestrated, but we had our fun, and we never, uh, you know, I never had a personal problem with, with Glenn or, or Kirk, for that matter. We had lots of fights on the air, but none off the air, and... We understood it was good radio. We understood it was a big, you know, it was a big drama and that hooked people in and they wanted to hear what you, if someone took a shot at you in the afternoon, they wanted to hear you respond in the morning. And I don't ever remember really taking it personally. Dino did sometimes, but Glenn sure didn't. Glenn could take it. He could laugh it off and he knew it was good radio. And of course, Kirk did too. So it worked and it's too bad. You're not allowed to do that anymore. Now, uh, a guy in the afternoon did an imitation of a guy in the morning one day. And the guy in the morning went to the boss and said, make it stop, make it stop. I don't like that. Is that true? And, yes, that's true. And I know we can't, you know, we can't name names about uh, daddy intercom, but uh, you can figure it out. Oh, that sucks. So Kirk, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? All right. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Both of you guys. Um, so Kirk, when you jumped into EI, I know you had moved. So were you listening like online then or you, or did you, when you came back, you know, kind of delve into the EI world just as a well, listener? Little, yeah. Well, I mean, I was, you know, it was high school and I first, when EI kicked off, I think as a sports station or just, just out of high school. So yeah. I listened to it and I listened to John and Jerry and, uh, and Glenn in the afternoon. Um, when I moved back and I moved back for the website, and, you know, started participating more and more, honestly, the two guys who I felt uh, on the on-air guys, who I felt I could talk to the most were probably, uh, Glenn for sure before I was on the air. And then once the show started with Jerry and I do think there was a sort of, uh, common thread. I think Jerry was just alluding to it before he told the story about Lou Maloney and Greg Hill. Uh, we won't name names, but um, uh, you know, this might not make the air curve. Oh, is know, that we, true? We, oh. we are here with I mean, a, we are we're here with a. I mean, you could. I don't want to be graphic, but you know, you could fit the Burlington Mall in Greg Hills. I mean, this thing is just. I mean, right. you could. You could. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, from from the grave, Minahan is causing problems at uh, in the halls but, of Intercom. But anyway, the uh, uh, but what I was getting at was I know Glenn, Jerry was talking about it was the the beauty of Glenn literally was you know Jerry and I would get mad at each other sometimes off the air, but not really. Sometimes mm -hmm. on the air, but not really. 
it was always a good fun. But Glenn, you could literally say anything you wanted to him, and he didn't care. And that is, mm. uh, forget about a, a, a dying quality. That is essentially a dead quality in radio. It's it's mm-hmm. over. And you might say, so what? What does that matter? Well, it matters a great deal. That matters throughout every show, every segment, and then bleeds throughout the station all day. I mean, I can't, I don't know, I'm sure you do agree, Jerry. I, I, I don't think you can emphasize that enough. Uh, not only did he not mind, he liked it. Glenn, right, heard, right. And he would he would call us up and say, it was great. You know, if we did a bit or mocked him or called, you know, made fat jokes. I mean, it's like Shattuck. He can take it. You know, he, can, he doesn't mind a little fat shaming. And, you know, Glenn became a cartoon character in many ways. Mm-hmm. And when they brought him back and, and Kirk and I were just talking about this off the air, like, we snuck him back in the building. We they didn't want yeah. him. We brought him back in to fill in for Dino when Dino took a little break. <laughs> Kirk, do I have that right? And uh, uh, yes, he did a very yes. a very little break. Yeah, <laughs> not a long break, a little break. And when they tried to, and, and I again, I love Glenn, and so does Kirk. But they'd put him with uh, with Holly and say, you know, oh. talk Celtics, talk Celtics. You know, and you go, what are you doing? I mean, the guy was a great ringmaster of the circus that was his thing and he liked you know the freewheeling the off the wall stuff and they brought him in and said okay you're going to be mike greenberg and it's it was just stupid oh that got sad quickly in the the mid days there is was that one of the things about him that that he seemed to be even tempered because in that room to run the big show you had to have people like he had um obviously fred and steve all those big egos in there and then volatile people as well. And like even back when, who, who was Rico Petroselli and stuff he would have on there. Like, did did they need to see that the guy running the show was cool, calm, and collected and for them to feel comfortable enough? Well, to- I tell you what, Shattuck and I'm sure, when, when someone filled in for him, it didn't work. You know, it didn't work. They couldn't do it. They didn't understand. You bring the, you know, if someone's really dumb, uh, you make it, you make it a... <laughs> You shine a light on that. You say, boy, you're dumb. You're not so many words. And you get some laughs out of it. And then you bring someone in. They go, okay, oh, over to you, Fred. And now to you, Steve. What did you think of it? And it just became uh, right. dull and formulaic. So, so, and, and Glenn was the only one who could do it. So as a listener, you know, after the big show, during its peak, after the the show was over, you were like, holy hell, what was, what was, what the hell just happened? Ending with the Weiner line, of course. And it was like, it would smack the hell out of you. And that's what, when you guys were on as well, at the end of your show, you were like, holy shit, these guys, Kirk and Jerry, it, it was a f- crazy ride sometimes. And you just broke all the freaking rules. You made up people people upset in the studio. You went, did the show, did you guys have to be winded? Did you have to feel like you ran a marathon in- well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Jerry would get really, really tired. He would get, re- I mean, he was, was really struggling physically. Uh, mentally, I was a rock the whole time. So I kind of kept the whole thing together. But uh, but I think, I, I think like, and not to make it too, but like how I looked at it for our show, and I'm sure Glenn did too, and I think Jerry did too, was, you know, not to get too self-aggrandizing, but, you know, to me, it was a story that like the show didn't end. It went on for 24 mm. hours. What's going to happen tomorrow? Oh, geez, you know, Alex Reamer said this, Kirk said this, Jerry did this. Oh, what's this issue between Tomasi and uh, and whoever? And and I'm still trying to do that now on my show where, you know, as these shows now, I don't listen to them much. I know Jerry doesn't either. They just end like, OK, you know, Rich <laughs> Keefe or whoever, you know, it's two o'clock. We talked about um, I don't know what the big sports story of the day is. Pick it. You know, we're done. The Celtics free agency and we'll be back at 10 o'clock. We'll do the same thing tomorrow. Stay up, and you're giving the listener. If you're driving around for five or 10 minutes, you want to hear guys talk about sports, fine, it's there. But you're giving them no motivation, no reason to invest and stick around for 30 or 40 minutes or drive around like I used to do with Jerry and, and John mm-hmm. and with Glenn and with Stern. You, I would drive around my cul-de-sac in, you know, in Winchester or I would have my driver drive me around the cul-de-sac <laughs> in Winchester. And, or, you know, you know what I mean? You know, you go and you just kill time. I'd be going up and down, I'd be driving through the flats, Tom, you know, yeah. and, and hoping they hit a red light. I don't think anybody's hoping to hit a red light when they're listening to, and I hope they're probably hoping to hit a bus when they're listening to, to these shows. Now it's just different. And Glenn, to his credit, you know, like I think people now would say, Oh, uh, uh, Pete Shepard's stupid or, uh, Steve Burton's stupid. But you know, when we did this too, and I still do it now and Jerry and 
you know, with Mutt, for example, for us, Mutt was stupid. Gary was stupid, but that was a beautiful thing. That was part of it. it you know, right. it's not, you're not here to really, you know, I don't think the guy in the car knows any less than I do about the friggin' Red Sox. That's not what it's about. Right. Well, isn't it about, like, don't guys, real people give each other shit and have just jar with each other and things like that? I mean, it- yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, that was the beauty of it. And that's when, you know, and I, I, I John and Jerry and I did that. John and Jerry did it. Mm-hmm. I think even more Jerry and I did it. We did our thing. You know, that's, that's like you want to, and you go as far as you can and then you stop. But I mean, like, that's not what EI, and, and to be fair, you know, Glenn and Louis Christian was better than Glenn and Michael Hawley, but I don't think Glenn, Glenn's second run was ever quite, you know, what, what his first, it just wasn't. He just had, didn't have as many characters to work with. But you know, it's amazing, Kirk, is uh, we always think that we couldn't do what we did, which is obvious now under the, you know, at the same company, at the same station, but neither could Glenn. And Glenn rarely, you know, did something to get himself in trouble. Right. He brought in, you know, he brought in idiots and and, and crazy people and, you know, LB and Fred and <laughs> and he and he let them go. And Pete Shepard, and he let the lunatics go, the, the the circus animals, he let them go. And he was the ringmaster, but he didn't do anything himself. He never said anything. No. They got in trouble, but he gave you that atmosphere, that freewheeling atmosphere that sounded like there might be danger you know, on the horizon. And that's the key. I mean, if there's no nothing dangerous about a show people don't lift. They don't get hooked. They don't feel like they have to stay with it. They don't feel like they're going to miss something if they turn off the radio. No, it's what makes the ringer so good, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we, you know, what's funny is I heard Jerry talk about this on this show yesterday, I think, right. Where when we brought Glenn back and this is a hundred percent true. We, we, we smuggled him like as much as you can hide. It was like the Lufthansa heist. Like we brought him in under the wraps from everybody. And then after the show, Kevin Graham, the program director at the time, who was a very nice guy, thought that Ordway was some kind of like wild man, right. like Howard Stern or me or what. And, and I remember saying to Kevin, Kevin, you don't understand. You don't know how boring Glenn can be talking about <laughs> sports. You are you are going to love this guy. You want up hiring him. And Glenn, right. you know, when we were, we were in the morning, the midday show was number one. That's not a coincidence. But, you know, he had a pretty damn good six year second. I mean, his second run was twice as long as my run on, uh, on morning radio. So, you know, good for him. Yeah. And, and he, but he thought because of the big show atmosphere, that Glenn was a troublemaker, a bomb tosser. And he said, Oh, we don't need that. And we right. Kirk and I would say, you don't understand. It's not what he does. I mean, he might encourage people who are a little off the wall, but it wasn't him. And there was no chance if they brought him back that he was going to get in trouble. And we had to convince him by actually literally sneaking him in and put him on the air. And then he was like, no, oh, he's not, he's not bad. Right. So we, I've got to get Jerry off to dinner. Jerry, are you, are you, uh, you bolting? I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't want to listen to it. Go ahead. Where are you going, Jerry? Ooh, I see. <laughs> Early dinner. <laughs> are you going out or are you going to Maine? Somewhere in Maine or no? I'm going out. Yes, I am. I, yep, yep. Where are you going? Is up. Are you really? No, not tonight. It's. I think it's going to rain. No, not tonight. Well, by the time this is up, it, it, you've already had dinner. Just someone's house, some, uh, some friend's house. Oh, okay. Where yeah. are you going tonight, Kirky? I got nothing. I'm getting, I, I'm like you. I, I, I have a show tomorrow. I go to bed early. I show prep. That's all I think about. Right. I mean, I've, I, only do, I only do three a week and about 20 a year, but you know, that's what I do. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you, you guys just mentioned that, that, that this program director didn't know that Glenn wasn't a wild man. How big of a challenge is that, that, that both salespeople in programming bosses, managers don't know the content of the station? Oh, it's, I mean, you're asking us. I don't know what you're talking about, Jerry. You work for salespeople are 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 lazy and stupid by nature. But I think also like it was like you know I don't want to get into merchant stuff, but Mm. like for us it was you know we would say to them like, do you listen to the show? I I don't know how many times over the course of eight or nine years I said, do you listen to the show? And the answer was almost inevitably no. They don't. It's hard. Yeah, program directors are different than salespeople. Salespeople don't want to hear any of it. Program directors, I think, have some sympathy because they understand. But, you know, I will say my guess is I don't even know if there's a program director right now at EEI. But if there is, he or she is not getting any calls about controversial content or any trouble. That that, that, that I would say. I mean, maybe they'll say, you know, I mean, I can't imagine that. I don't know. Um, so the thing that happened with EEI when the big show, first of all, that must have felt good to have a show, a big show 
that would recycle listeners into you guys. Not that you needed to help, but then you were, you know, you guys, it was uh, symbiotic, certainly. Um, but that's over, right? With Because podcasts. Uh, Glenn, Glenn and Lou and Christian were fine. We, I mean, hell, Kirk had fights with, with all of them, including a real one <laughs> with sure. Fourier, Fourier that uh, we were all kind of uh, involved in. And but. <laughs> it was definitely a back and forth with Glenn, Lou, and Christian with us, with Kirk and me and our show. That that worked. There was a we had a relationship, a, uh, a a tense one at times, but it worked uh, long after the big show. But you know, wasn't encouraged by the by management. It wasn't encouraged by the program director. In fact, it was discouraged. He didn't see the value in it, and they still don't. Obviously, when did it start? When did it start sucking to work there? When did it suck? I don't know, when they hired you about two weeks ago? I don't know what that means. <laughs> that, like most of this, is being edited out. Uh, I mean, for me, for me, well, it's different. Jerry, it's funny. I walked into, before 2000, before Merchant showed up, I think, Jerry, I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but I walked in in the middle of the worst period in EI history until then, the Jeff Brown era. I remember walking in my first show. Jerry said, you know, this. just so you know, the guy run the place is an asshole. This isn't going to last long. We're done. We're done. And we somehow survived that. Um, and then that. I, I apologize. And then we had uh, three or four really great years. And then, you know, all the crap happened. But, you know, I mean, when I walked in in 12 and 13, that station was the morale was dead. By the way, as is morale there now. I mean, mm. it couldn't. It's not possible. We, we, we were just now. We were just talking about the Shattuck on one of Kirk's first day, days where he was, was trying out for the uh job the update guy you know he's going to be the flash boy uh we were under orders dino and i you know because the general manager was such a pussy he didn't want any heat from anybody and if we talk politics you get heat you get phone calls someone complains and you got to handle it that's what you need a general manager with some spine we didn't have that so we talked politics he got upset called us in said no more politics we had a call from Mitt Romney while he was campaigning in New Hampshire he said this is my favorite show and he talked to us and we had a good time he calls us in afterwards, starts screaming. I told you no. I said, that could be the next president. Call him in to talk to us. He said, I don't give a damn. No more politics. No more interviews with any. So the day after the election, when Obama won, Kirk was filling in. or was true. Trying out. Yeah. And we couldn't mention Obama's name. We did a four-hour show without mentioning who won the election. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about Cody Ross. And what was the other thing? We had a couple oh, things. I forget, but I remember going, I didn't bother you guys much. I didn't know you. I walked in during one of the breaks just to ask you guys something, and you were staring at the text, and, and text after text was like, what the f***? Why are you doing this? You guys suck. You've had your b ripped off, and, and you were like, yeah, I mean, there's, not, you know, there's nothing we can do. But keep in mind, by the way, Jerry then, as is now, staunch Romney guy. Like, is not, <laughs> not wavered. Is not wavered. So did you go on the air and tell people that the PD said no more politics? Not really, no. I'm sure we just... We kind of did, though. We danced around it like, you know, it was it was like, but, you know, I'm sure we joked about it and laughed and pretended it was a big joke, but it was serious. We could not. The pro, the producer was under orders. I think it was Chach under yeah, orders it was. to hit the button. If we mentioned Obama's name or Romney's name, we weren't. He said, if they mention it, you bleep it out. That's how bad it was. And this and, is about Glenn, and this is about Glenn. So I won't, you know, but like for us, for that with that guy, I think the turning moment for Jerry and I, Dino wasn't there. And for our show was when we wound up ripping up Callum Borches on the air. That was probably seven or eight months later. That's true. And we kind of felt like we got our balls back at that point. Um, and, you know, and then, and then we were on our way until, you know, whatever happened. But, but you know, what's funny about Glenn is, you know, Glenn never, I don't think Glenn, Glenn was never suspended. I can't imagine. Like he never got in any actual trouble in his entire career. Right. I don't think so. Oh, no, he didn't. And that was, I mean, he, he just was the, uh, the ringleader, you know, he was, right. uh, and he was the guy that pulled the strings and he did it beautifully and got people to say dumb stuff and do crazy stuff, but he didn't do it himself. I mean, but you know what? He knew how to cultivate talent. And as I've mentioned, Grandy, Sean Grandy has that tweet with like 20 names. All of them got their start in some form with Glenn, not Kirk, although. True. That is true. Uh, it wasn't you, but uh, just about everyone, you know, Dan Shaughnessy and Felger and Maserati and I mean, uh, Zolak and LB and I mean, all kinds of mm. Grandy, you know, all kinds of people learned under Glenn or worked with Glenn at the beginning. And, you know, you had a hell of a coaching tree. 
it's too bad because you know that'll be that'll never be certainly in a radio station other than certain Connecticut radio stations which are on the up and up on the AM which is where it's at. <laughs> um, those days of a wall to wall radio station that's that powerful and that good and that cohesive together that will never be known again. Our kids will never know what that sounded like. At least Kirk, you and I. No, definitely not. No, no. I mean we and we were doing like I said we had a good relationship with. Uh, with uh, Christian Glenn and Lou and even like Mutt was at night at that point and he was on with us and, and it was close. I mean, obviously Dale is Dale in the midday, but, but yeah, it's, it's like, it's, there's, I mean, I couldn't imagine listening to, to sports talk radio now. And it's not because I don't have a huge sports fan anymore. It's just, it's purposely boring. Now the other station is getting great ratings, so I wouldn't change it if I were them either, but it is interesting. I mean, EEI is dead. It is dead. It is never coming back. It is over. There is no, they're going to replace uh, Glenn with some rot- rotation of characters. I'm sure they're going to try and do it. And it's going to suck because it's going to be all sports. It's not going to be personal. They're not going to get in any trouble. It'll be, all right, thanks for your four hours. See you later. Let's wheel the guy in tomorrow. The ratings suck. And eventually they'll say, I, I was saying this to Jerry the other night, I don't know what point not getting in trouble trumps ratings and revenue. I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but you know, they, 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 they might. We're, we're, we're going to find out. We're going to find out because we sure are. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll replace Glenn. We were saying with rotating co-host or they'll find some, you know, whatever, uh, you know, transgendered, uh, lesbian, disabled, uh, one-eyed, uh, you know, uh, host and say, we get them first. In the oh, that's right. That's definitely happening. That's that's uh, a surprise. possibility. You know what? Yeah. Jamel Hill could do a nice job at that station. I think. Yeah, she's she's great at getting jobs. She's yeah. not so good at doing them, but she can get <laughs> that's jobs. True. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, Jerry, Jerry Callahan podcast. I really uh, appreciate it. Sorry you missed dinner, uh, Kirk. Um, thank you. The Kirk Minahan show. Sure. Yesterday's was one of the best ones ever. I can't uh, wait to hear uh, what happens in Saco. And by the way, just you know, this just shows you how bright Kirk Minahan is. Is that not only does he pick a mall that I would know because it's close to Winchester, but he picks a bigger mall to say it would fit inside uh, Great <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. 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 Yes. 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 Guys, yeah. uh, just, Jerry, don't, you gotta, just don't you, be you, doing any imitations, Shattuck. I know you. You know you, you, you could, but stay here. Produ- you, you get that producer yet, Jerry, or what? Uh, we're working on it. We're working on okay. it. Jerry. Thanks. To, you know, okay. you're helping. You're helping. And I appreciate that. I'll uh, make that. You want, you, want, you want you want the one I got now? You want it back? <laughs> no, <I laughs> you can, you can have smarter. I'm I think Corano is great. Corano does a great job. And um, and uh, Dave is a good fit with you, Jerry, because he's a nihilist. Uh, Kirk, because he's a nihilist. So it's interesting to see how he doesn't react like a human there being. There's a different. There was a different time in history. There'd be a different word to describe Colin A, but we can't use that word anymore. Yes, but it would also involve the Burlington Mall and his parents walking him around it. So that would say. So that would say. Nihilist. I'd think of another word for uh, for Yeah, yeah, it sounds about right. Yeah, that's it. All right, guys. Guys, thank you so much. Take these. Appreciate you, Thanks, Kirk. So I think I almost got everything. I almost got everything. I can't be sure. I'm sure I'll find out if I didn't. Very. Surely, it is funny, uh, Alice. I don't know. Sure, did you hear the thing about the Burlington Mall? Mm-hmm. You didn't. Okay, I don't want to. I can't repeat it because it's it's unlike anything we've ever said here, and it has to do with um, it has to do with actions, etc. That one person shouldn't take upon another. But anyway, well, you used to work at the Burlington Mall. I did, indeed. bringing us right back to you. Of course. So where shall we start? By the way, guys, thank you for uh, for uh, hanging out with us. Give us a try if you're here from the world, from the Minifan world. Yeah. <laughs> They've turned it There's off a, a while ago. They're too drunk to get to the, the uh, iPad to change uh, the this or whatever. They may be stuck. Mm-hmm. On. Anyway, so uh, let's start and take off back with the rest of the stuff on our radar. First of all, Joe Biden today was in uh, Florida. Mm-hmm. I saw him with DeSantis at the uh, conference table. And Biden does. He is good at this stuff yeah it was very interesting as well i'm not sure if you did you watch any of it i watched the biden thing and then i watched or i listened to the presser okay <clears throat> you listened to the so did you watch them at the table that was kind yeah. of the president yeah, yeah. but no was... i watched like what i listened to was like biden <clears throat> on the black background talking about okay so that loss was a... and grieving and well stuff. while they're yeah. at the table do, table doing kind of the photo photo spray presser mm-hmm. Biden says his few words, whatever. He's he's wandering here and there. 
they have the FEMA people, the fire department people, et cetera, et cetera. And it was really interesting how it, this is a tough spot for DeSantis to be in because mm-hmm. he's got to play a role. He's running for president. So he's yeah. got to show uh, uh, Potentially against this guy. Well, yes, he's got to show graciousness and at the same time um, not show too much. He right, because this was the Chris Christie hugging Obama thing that upset people so much in 2012 with Hurricane Sandy. Exactly, and, and I was mad about that, too. I was like, really? <laughs> well, and, yeah. And, and, the, so and the, the track suit, I don't think, helped Christy either. <laughs> so that's a tough line to walk a little bit, um, you know, as the Republican governor when when there are these, like, political things. But obviously, I think... I think Biden did a good job, like making that piece of it less awkward for everybody, and kind of saying, "Like, look, we're all setting it aside. We're all working together." Nobody's he also did bickering. a nice, nice bit of, uh, of physical um, coordination. Oh no, what's that called? What was Bob Fosse? I don't know. You don't know who Bob Fosse is? Mm-hmm. You're kidding me! I don't know who it is. <laughs> Who's the guy who who designs the dances? Choreographer. Okay. Nice bit of choreography from Biden when he hands, when he essentially cedes to DeSantis the floor as they're sitting mm-hmm. there together, he um, holds his hand and touches his hand for a moment, mm-hmm. signaling to DeSantis it was his turn. I thought it was subtle. It was just cool to see. Some of the yeah. stagecraft sometimes is cool. Well, yeah, and I think Biden, you know, he hasn't been around Washington for decades and decades and decades for nothing. Like, he's good at that sort of, like, human politicking basically. You know, he's not good at some of the other political stuff, like, you know, not lying in speeches, but he's, uh, or, you know, stealing other people's speeches, but he's, um, he's good at, like, the connecting with people piece, which I think, you know. Peace? Sorry. That's tough, dude. No. Well, I mean, but it's true. It's that that is a piece of what you do in politics, you know, that's something that like Ted Cruz, for example, doesn't have. Right. He's not able to like connect with people on that level in that way. And Biden, Biden is good at that, you know, and he's, he's good at doing it in terms of optics, in terms of how it looks. But I think he's also good at, you know, I'm sure he was much better when he went around and talked to the survivors than like Hillary Clinton was with the Benghazi funerals. Oh, yes, I would say because, so. Because, right. like, those people hated her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I think Biden is really good at, at you know, talking to people in that way yes. who are going through hard things. I think that's something, you know, there there are a lot of things about him being president that I don't like, but I, I think that that is something that's a credit to him as president a- and that he's good at. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so he did a passable job today. Of course, as you heard in the intro... He dropped the climate change thing, the term. And I he mean, did put it on the survey. They right. were all talking to me about I, I climate I didn't say anything change. he said. I didn't say anything. Well, I think that's like he knew he shouldn't really be saying. And I think he should have left that out of his presser. Right. But that is... You know, they asked him if the engineers had told him anything about the building. And he said, well, I don't know. But the survivors were all wondering if it was climate change. Like, really? Like, just, just leave it out. <laughs> like... Yeah, but he didn't. And, oh, and so far, I think we'll mm-hmm. probably, we'll know tomorrow, by tomorrow. He if, didn't hawk the infrastructure bill. <laughs> yeah, we will know by tomorrow just how egregious it was, what he said. But so far, it seems like that he did an all right job, a passable job. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's no way that Ron Clean is not telling him, hey, man, we don't let this thing just go. There's no way. I mean, it's the template now. And it's the degrees of shame they feel going there ha- diminishes every time they go to it and now it's just now it's taught in the uh, classrooms that teach survivors and how many of the families talked about the impact of global warming yeah absolutely mm-hmm. that happened i'm sure that was front of mind for everybody there <sighs> so what else is going on so what else is going on it's a busy world out there um i know i mean Finally, Pride Month has ended. Is that true? Yeah, Pride Month is over. Um, but um, on the second to last day of Pride Month, the Washington Post published a lovely editorial that, or an op-ed, I guess, that 
that has some bearing on some things we've talked about on this show before. We've talked about the divide on uh, kink at pride. Mm-hmm. Does, I'm pro kink at pride. You're against. Yes. Well, so is Lauren Ruello, who is a writer who lives in the Philadelphia area. Um, who talks about her experience as a family taking her kids to Pride and why she feels kink belongs at Pride with the children. She writes, (laughs) this uh, op-ed is called, Yes, kink belongs at Pride, and I want my kids to see it. Uh, She says, Our family took the train into Philadelphia, but as we rode across the bridge to to attend the city's Pride Parade five years ago, my wife's leg bounced with a nervous jitter. She squeezed my hand, worried she might run into a colleague or be harassed by a stranger. My wife is trans and wasn't out at the time, so she typically only expressed her authenticity in the privacy of our home. That morning, she wore a green skirt and light makeup, brushing her hair all to one side. Even though we'd attended pride marches and protests in previous years, that day was our first, celebrating openly as a family. When our children grew tired of marching, we plopped onto a nearby curb. Just as we got settled, our elementary schooler pointed in the direction of oncoming floats, raising an eyebrow at a bare-chested man in dark sunglasses whose black (laughs) suspenders clipped onto a leather thong. I don't see the problem. The man paused to be spanked playfully by a partner with a flog. What are they doing? Playfully, Alice. What's the problem? Mm -hmm. What are they doing, my curious kid asked as our toddler cheered them on. The pair was the first of a few dozen kinksters who danced down the street, laughing as they twirled their whips and batons, some leading companions by leashes. At the time, my children were too young to understand the nuance of the situation, but I told them the truth, that these folks were members of our community celebrating who they are and what they like to do. So she goes on to talk about how the kink community belongs at Pride, um... They're part of us. It's in, you know, that she thinks that um, when she says, when my own children caught glimpses of kink culture, they got to see that the queer community encompasses so many more non traditional ways of being, living, and loving. Um, so she says as much as she wants them to spend time in queer spaces, she doesn't want them to limit their understanding of what relationships and expression can look like to what's most familiar. She wants them to see that they can make their own ways in the world and know that they'll be supported and celebrated by their community. If we want our children to learn and grow from their experiences at Pride, we should hope (laughs) that they'll encounter kink when they attend. How else can they learn about the scope and vitality of queer life? That's true. That's true. I remember being a four-year-old and thinking to myself, I have not encountered enough kink. (laughs) You know, I barely saw anybody get spanked with a baton. Yeah, or men in suspenders and thongs. And I mean, think of all the things you missed out on. That's why you're so wrapped up in your traditional way of being and you haven't been exposed to enough... uh, you know. That's right. You throw a pair of um, you know, buttocksless chaps next to me. I'm not sure what to do with them. <laughs> You've seen this. It takes me a little while to figure it out. Um, so I, the the thing in, there is this feeling, and I and I see it, and I understand. Good progressives, and we know some of these people mm-hmm. who are like, oh, they're just having fun. It's fine, and they want to teach the kids not to awake their inner uh, uh, homophobic killer. I guess. Yeah. And they're saying, oh, it's just fine. It's fine. And that I understand, and that comes from, I think, a good place. But also, we're watching highly sexually charged kink or mm-hmm. the s- symbolization of it. Well, yeah, it's like the people with the Desmond is amazing nine-year-old who's a drag queen, and they're like, oh, he's just having fun dressing in a dress as adult men throw money at him at the, in the gay bar. Like, that's, he just, he doesn't know the context. Well, yeah, but he that's true, but he doesn't know the context, and there's a context there that other people are seeing. Well, yeah, and in that, he's actually embodying a the character of a sexualized character, which yeah. you wonder, how legal is that? You know, if I went around the playground saying to the kids, you know what, you put on a tutu and dance suggestively, and I'll hand you money, I get the feeling that there would be, <laughs> rightfully, the cops may descend. Hopefully. I don't know anymore. You might be in break. They, there are a lot of people in a lot of towns around this state anyway who would probably be more disturbed if you handed out uh, Make America Great Again hats and uh, and American flags oh, definitely. Than, than if you went in a 
in tights and a tutu to the playground. There is no doubt about that. So uh, listen, uh, do you mind if I move on from this? Yeah, that's fine. I I just wanted to close out Pride Month on a happy note. Well, I am going to open it up again a little (laughs) bit right here, Alice, as we play this uh, Lori Lightfoot uh, uh, audio. This This is so good, this audio. So she's catching hell from the press, including the Chicago Tribune editorial page, calling her a dolt nincompoop who's talentless at being mayor, which she is, of course. <laughs> but listen, first of all, this interviewer should um, be flogged in the public square for setting the question up like he does. But listen to how she answers. Listen to the psychosis of an incompetent, wacko, radical progressive. Your reaction to criticism, uh, Tribune editorial used the term irascible. Uh, how much of this do you think might have to do with the fact that you're a woman and partic- specifically Not to lead you. Woman? About 99% of it. Expand on that. Well, I mean, look look at my predecessors. Um, did, did people say that Rich Daly um, held, uh, you know, uh, uh, tea sessions uh, with people that he didn't disagree on? Uh, Rahm Emanuel was a polite um, guy who was a, a uniter? No. Women and people of color are always held to a different standard. I understand that. I've known that my whole life. No, it's just you're uniquely psychotic is the difference. And the other two were not. That's the thing. And for her to suggest, oh, it's obviously, it it absolutely could. The fact that they have no, they're missing that. This this nerve that should should be a conduit to accountability. They absolutely, it's not possible for them. Mm-hmm. They could never. They don't. They live in a world, a world in the prism where it doesn't exist. Self-reflection does not exist. Mm-hmm. The only thing out there is the outside world uh, offending at them. Right. Well, yeah. If anybody it, criticizes is, me, it must be. But this is what a psychotic would say <laughs> in the in the in the dock in a murder trial. Blame everything, mm-hmm. but him. And the Tribune or whoever can write what they want. What I'm doing is fighting for the residents of the city. I'm an advocate. I'm going to continue fighting. Um, obviously, we need. I can't be wrong. I'm fighting. I'm an advocate. Doesn't yeah. matter that on paper I'm effing everything up. I take issue with that framing anyway because that's the language of an activist who's trying to get the government to do something in a strong mayor form of government like Chicago has. You know the. The mayor is the government, essentially. You know, this is... Right. Well, this is very much like Obama. Yeah. It was like when Boko Haram had all the girls and Michelle Obama was like hashtagging, like, save our girls. Like, do you know anybody, Michelle, who maybe could help with that rather than taking it to Twitter and us? Like, I think you live with somebody who can do more about saving the girls than I can. Like, why are you tweeting save our girls? But I feel the same about this. Like, I'm an activist. I'm fighting for the people of this city. No, you don't fight. Like, you don't have to fight. You just do what you think is a good idea to do for the people of the city. Like, that's... And you're doing it, and it sucks for them. So maybe (laughs) maybe you should rethink your strategy. Because you're not, like, fighting... Like, you run the city. So... You're right. not, like, Blasio advocating. Has, Blasio was the same thing as well. Mm-hmm. There's always outside forces doing this, and we need to do this, and these people need to do this. It's never like, you're the mayor of the city. Things didn't suck. You came, and now everything sucks. Well, they might have sucked a little before de Blasio, too. In New York? Who was before him? Bloomberg? Yeah, Banning but no. sodas? But, well, stuff? yeah, but he was a nanny state jerk, <laughs> but the city was in good shape. Crime was down. The city looked and well, smelled yeah, good. that's true. We focus on uniting people as much as we can. But I, I was elected and ran on disrupting the status quo. And when you disrupt... You've done that. <laughs> You've disrupted it's the a, crime rates. Yeah, it's supposed to be deeper than that, though. It's not just supposed to be F everything up. Every, we all can do that. The status quo, you are going to make um, people uncomfortable. You are going to have people criticize you. But I know where my North Star is. I know the things that we need to be working on. Can I do things differently? There's a good sign, good catchword for a psycho mm-hmm. that I've only noticed in the last year or so, where my North Star is. Mm-hmm. And uh, Saki uses that too. Our North Star on this particular is this and this, and it's our North Star. And better, of course. Life is a, a lifelong learning um, experience, I hope, for me and for others. But I uh, absolutely understand that the critics 
some of them who are out there are criticizing me because they don't like to see a woman assume power and, and forge ahead on an agenda that is about disrupting the status quo. No, they don't want an incompetent, psychotic disrupting the status quo irreparably. Right. They don't care if a woman or man or whatever, whatever does, whatever. But it's an incompetent. This is who we have. This is a incompetent who's a psychotic. Um, and look, I also say with the Tribune, consider the source. This criticism comes just about a month or so after I made a pointed decision at my two-year anniversary that I was only going to give interviews uh, for that two-year anniversary to journalists of color. Um, no further questions, Your Honor. Uh, the state rests. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. The Tribune has been pissed off at me ever since I enacted a racist policy that excluded and, the yes, Tribune and this, from covering it. Discriminated you. against a color, a certain color of reporter here one day for my inauguration birthday. <laughs> okay, yeah, but Trump was mean to the press, right? Yes, obviously, so they're holding true. a grudge. Yeah. They're holding a grudge. Are you not getting it yet? Can we get an orderly over here to restrain this person? And it was like the sky was falling on the part of some of the folks that are embodiments of the status quo, including... Um- and they took such umbrage at being called racist. Mm-hmm. It's like the sky was falling. They took umbrage at it. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. The umbrage they take. Some of the media folks. But look around. Look at that Tribune editorial board. Look at the editorial boards of most of the... Look at them. Uh-huh. Look who's there. Look at them. All of them are out to get me. Uh, ...big media companies here in the city. They do not reflect our diversity. That's then, right. Mm-hmm. That More whites is the problem. Many of the people on those boards don't even live in Chicago. So I'm sorry if I offend people by fighting for what people elected me to do, which is disrupt the machine, disrupt the status quo, and make city government more responsive to the residents. Thanks for your speech. Um, Deputy, please cart her away. (sighs) So she's nuts, but she's not the only nuts person out there. In fact, I think today with the Supreme Court decisions that came out today, everybody may actually just have lost their minds totally. Because now, I might need your help. I don't often ask for your help interpreting Supreme Court decisions, but yeah, please. I might need your help on this I one. Can dust because off the old Jewish doctorate. I'm trying to understand here exactly what the problem is that everybody has with the Supreme Court decision. So, um, this is um, about the Arizona election laws. Now, mm-hmm. I'm told by lots of very smart, credible people like NPR and all these Twitter people and the president of the United States and everybody else that somehow what this lawsuit represents is that Republicans were mad that Joe Biden won in 2020. So they're using the Supreme Court to gut the Voting Rights Act in order to change the rules so that they can win again later. Right. So let me explain to you the case and see if you can tell me how they're getting from point A to point B because I legitimately like cannot understand their logic. So basically, Arizona has two voting rules that were at issue in this case. One is the longstanding policy that if you vote in a different precinct that's not your precinct your vote doesn't count. Okay. So if you drive to Boston and vote there, your vote doesn't count. Even if you drive to the next door town in Haverhill and vote there, your vote doesn't count. You have to vote at your voting place. And that's been a rule like as long as whatever. That's just the policy. It's not even like a law that's written down because they just do like if you vote and your vote doesn't belong there, they throw it out. The other one is a rule that dates from 2016, which, um, uh, sorry, let me go to the Voting Rights Act, because the Voting Rights Act, what it says is that you can't do racially discriminatory voting rules. Um, Oh, the other one is the 2016, the ballot harvesting. They said that activists can't gather up other people's ballots. It has to be like you are a family member that has your ballot. Because they've had issues with this with fraud, including Republicans doing this as fraud, like in North Carolina. 
there was a big case around it. But Right, and there was also, I think, in Orange County, California, mm-hmm. there was in 2018, 2018, all the Republican, I think it was 2018, all the Republican, Orange County was the last mm-hmm. big bastion of conservatism in California. Yeah. 2018, all the representation for Republicans essentially got wiped out because the Democrats were doing ballast harvesting. Right. In 2020, it was all restored when the yeah. Republicans started doing it. So, yeah. So the, the ballot harvesting, there were issues with it. Like in 2016, it was an issue in North Carolina, like I mentioned. And Arizona put in this rule in 2016 that only you, your family, an election worker, or the post office can touch your ballot. That's it. No one else. And so... They put in this rule in 2016 and they were sued because people said that this was racially discriminatory to outlaw ballot harvesting and to say that you have to vote in your own precinct. So they did a bunch of analysis and it turns out that the having to vote in your own precinct does apparently impact voters of color more than white voters that approximately um one percent of black voters ballots get thrown out due to them voting in the wrong place and only half a percent of white people's votes get thrown out because they vote in the wrong place so the argument was that this policy then which has existed the whole time it didn't come up new because of 2020 is discriminatory and under the voting rights act of 1965 that should be illegal so what the supreme what the the conservatives on the Supreme Court said, it, this is Alito wrote the decision, they said, yes, this technically has a disparate impact, but that's not enough on its own because you have to look at the totality of the rule and is it preventing people from voting? And if 99% of black voters can figure out where to vote, it's obviously not really preventing black people from voting. So... And Kagan wrote the dissenting opinion saying that, you know, this is discriminatory. So can you explain to me how that guts the Voting Rights Act? It doesn't gut it. That's totally crap. Because I don't understand, like, the law still exists. They didn't change the Voting Rights Act law. No voting rules changed. Everything's the same as it was. There's no, like, I don't get it. So I don't, this hysteria around, like, Jim Crow and all this stuff, it's, like, completely out of whack from the reality of what this actually says. But anyway, that was the big news today was the SCOTUS decisions on that stuff. And everybody's crazy. And I feel like I'm the only one who's like looking around me and I'm like, I don't, oh, I don't get no. it. Like, what am I? I don't see the racism. I just don't see, see it. So, so we're not going to see you guys until what well, we're going to do a show. Alice. On we're Monday. Doing, yeah. What do you mean on Monday? On Sunday. Oh yeah. Sunday too. I forgot about that. That's Sunday. the 4th of July. We're going to do a show mm-hmm. on the 4th of July. And we're going to do a show on Monday where I'm off in, um, in what's Terrestrial that? Radio, WTIC, yes, Hartford. WTIC, Hartford, exactly. Listen to me tomorrow morning as well. Uh, but if if you don't listen, if you're out doing something, having fun on the 4th of July, happy 4th of July, happy Independence Day. Thank you, guys. Remember last year we did one. I did one from Vermont. Yes, you did. That's before I used to ever be on the show. I know, I know. And it's great to have you, Alice. You look lovely as usual. Thank you for the sushi and all that other stuff. Unfortunately, I did already jam food down my gullet. But um, you're a really nice lady, Alice, and I appreciate it. You look nice and blue, too. Thank you. And for those of you from Barstool and uh, Jerry uh, P1s, I don't talk like a wimp usually. It's just to try to give you guys (laughs) lessons and and, um, permuting. What's that called when you're nice to women? Chivalry? Yes, that's exactly (laughs) right. Thank you so much, everybody. We will uh, talk to you again on Sunday. As Tom mentioned, the 4th of July. Happy 4th, everybody. Set off some fireworks, um, but don't blow up your neighborhood like the LAPD did. Uh, anyway, you can find us on Twitter. That's Burn Barrel Pod. Facebook.com slash Burn Barrel Podcast. Burn Barrel Podcast.com. YouTube, Parlor, Gab, all those places. And uh, shoot us an email if you want. Burn Barrel Podcast at gmail.com. Say la vie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.